Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I'm relatively okay. Rel- only relatively okay. This is, I, well, I, 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 I want to do something other than good or fine, and I realized that I, I, I had this idea, and then I didn't think of a word ahead of time, and so suddenly I had to make something up, and I came with relatively okay, and it's terrible. Well, I, I, so I, I apologize. Well, it might be terrible, but it's an improvement on fine. Okay. Uh, hey, fine, for us Americans, fine means fine. And yes, I know you guys, what was the, the, the tweet I sent you? It was British, not Australian, but it ranges from fine to I'm very angry at you to the world is ending. And it did give me a little more insight into, into your response. That, that is it. It's, I, I don't know. I do feel like when people have said that to me, it's probably more in the Commonwealth countries that they use it. But uh, when they've said that to me, it's probably more on the world is ending uh, spectrum of things. They just, for whatever reason, don't want to talk about it. And I normally take the cue and don't ask anymore. <laughs> but you asked me, uh, which I appreciate. I appreciate, I appreciate your care. So <laughs> uh, speaking of caring, uh, I don't know if that's a segue that makes sense, but this this episode of Exponent is sponsored as every episode is this year by Mailchimp. Uh, Mailchimp had a big feature in the New York Times this week by by Farhad Manju, his his column writing about how they are a several hundred million dollar company that has taken no venture capital, kind of totally bootstrapped. They're actually a side business for other businesses. They've been around for quite a while, and now they serve millions of businesses, including Stratechery. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but. For now, our thanks to MailChimp for sponsoring Exponent. Indeed. It was uh, interesting that uh, that uh, Fahad mentioned that you might have you might have heard of MailChimp because of the fact they sponsor Serial. And I saw you uh, I saw you send a note to him gently correcting him that the reason that perhaps most people know about them is because they also sponsor Exponent. And obviously, I appreciated that tweet. Uh, obviously, obviously. Speaking of internet companies that that are the exact opposite of Mailchimp. Uh, I wrote about Google this week. Very good. They had a they had a big conference, right? They did have a big conference and you, yeah, like there was no choice but to write about them. It was those things where they, they had a big event or a big keynote, I mm. should say. Like I had planned before the week started that they were going to be my weekly article. I mean, if a one of the big five companies holds a major announcement, it's probably going to be worth worth talking about. But I wasn't totally sure because they said they're announcing hardware and some of the hardware we already saw and, and it was going to be a phone, but they've done phones before, et cetera, et cetera. It turns out that this was arguably, and we'll see as time goes on whether this is the case, but it certainly seems this was one of the most important and you know, impactful announcements that we've seen in quite a while. Interesting. Uh, uh, I'm curious about that because for a long period of time, you've been... Um, You've been a little bit skeptical of Android and the effect that it's had on Google and how Google's approached the, the market for mobile services as a result of Android. So I'm going to be very interested to hear why you think this was this is so different from what happened last time and so impactful. Well, because you, well, let's, let's, let's go back mm. because you, you started there. My, I'd say my feelings about Android are very complicated, uh, <laughs> as I suspect Google's are as well. From a the, people forget that Google bought Android in 2005. This is a full two years before the iPhone was introduced. It was a year before Eric Schmidt joined the Apple board and saw whatever he may have seen. So the, Google was thinking about phones well before you know Apple kind of came on the scene. And the focus of Android from the beginning was first and foremost to and Google executives have said this, was first and foremost to stop Microsoft from dominating the phone like they dominated the PC. And yes, Microsoft ended up not really being able to limit Google on the PC because Google lived inside the browser. But I mean, that was more a mistake or not realizing the the choke point that mattered on Microsoft's spot because they tried, they, they sure went all out to control the browser itself, right? They, they just kind of missed where they should have gone for. And so Google wanted to completely avoid that, that scenario for phones. And, and, and that was kind of the driving impetus behind Android even before, even before the iPhone came along. Which was quite far-sighted of them uh, in many respects, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and well, and then Google did a few really smart things with Android. So the first thing, and this is where they get a lot of criticism and hate from Apple fans in particular, was they com- the original version of Android was probably closest to like a BlackBerry mm. clone. 
And they completely, before it was ever released to the public, they completely reworked it to basically be an iPhone clone. And of course, that drives people up the wall. But if you were going to introduce a phone in 2009 or 2010, whenever the, fir- the first Android, I believe it was 2009 when the first Android phone came out, why would you create a phone that was any different? Yeah. I think there's a broader point to be made here as well, which is that this is part of a, a healthy functioning technology ecosystem. Uh, you, you don't, I mean, you, you don't want people to outright lift things up, but in, in, uh, in many respects, like when the way is clear, this idea that other people can't, can't see what's being done and also bring their own implementation to market. I think that's a a wrong one. And generally, having different providers, uh, having different players provide a similar service, like copy, like, I don't know, let me say it more clearly. Copying in technology is actually a good thing. It results in competition. Google, so Google puts out Android out there. And uh, even though it's always been like Google versus Google versus Apple and all sort of stuff. The, the 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 real company that Google smushed was was Microsoft. Google destroyed Windows Phone, Microsoft Mobile, whatever version they had out there. Because not 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 in like a technical spec comparison, but they took all the air out of their market completely. And and here Microsoft Microsoft had a double mistake when it came to mobile. First, their original version of mobile from a user interface perspective, tried to shrink the PC. Right. But also their business model tried to shrink the PC too. Like they were they were wanting to sell Windows for a licensing fee to OEMs just like they did on PC. And Google came along was like, we will offer you this that's kind of like an iPhone, not quite, but better than Microsoft's, and we'll give it to you for free. And meanwhile, all these all, all these phone manufacturers are staying completely helpless. They have no way of matching an iPhone, and of no surprise, they they leaped at Android. It, it's it's easy to forget now, given there is uh, open so- Android's open source, and people have forked it, and now it's relatively easy to create a phone OS. But the difficulty how difficult it was to create a phone operating system back with when Android launched, particularly one that had a graphical user interface that people could actually use. It can't be understated. And that this was this was effectively given away and it was open sourced. Uh, it's uh it it's it was kind of mind blowing at the time. It's easy to forget now. Yeah, and so this is the key thing. This is why I said I have a complicated uh, thought process regarding Android. Android, per its original goals, which was to ensure Microsoft didn't dominate the phone market and that Google retained that connection with the customers that is critical in consumer technology, was an unbelievable success. Like, you cannot, like, there, it's an unqualified success. Android runs billions of phones. Yes, not all of them are Google's version, particularly in China, but there are mm. well, billions of phones that run the Google version of Android that have that Google search bar front and center, and Microsoft is nowhere to be seen. Like As far as the original goals of Android go, and as far as protecting the core Google business, it succeeded. It succeeded completely, and that's why like, and that's why I, I'm not someone who has, it was completely down on it by any means. I, I think that's I think that's reasonably fair. I we've we've got into this again I uh, before and I I, I l- let's go with that. I agree. Well, thank you. So the problem for Google is that this scorched earth strategy. The problem with the scorched earth strategy is that you scorch everything. Like there, like it's like dropping a nuclear bomb on on the on the smartphone market, and that often means there are unintended casualties. And one of those unintended casualties, and it was a big one, was their relationship with Apple. And given how important, I mean, Apple had a pretty big uh, part of the smartphone market. But even beyond that, looking how the, the the smartphone market has played out and how they have the top end of the market and they have a whole bunch of very valuable customers, that uh, that casualty was not without consequences, right? Right, right exactly. And so, and so what's happening now is, is Google... Google's Android strategy was very sound. They accomplished it. But now we're 10 years on and the kind of the the second order effects, the unintended consequences are 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 more and more apparent. And that's why I think a lot of people today are, are more are more critical of Android because they forget how 
they forget what the original goals were and that it did the job it was called to do. And the world's different today, and Google has to deal with the repercussions. That doesn't necessarily mean it was a bad decision, but the repercussions are real. And so if, obviously Apple was first and foremost uh, – you, there's two there's two issues with the Apple Google relationship. Obviously, Steve Jobs in particular was livid that Google you know ripped them off, mm. and, and which they did. And and again, we can there's a whole philosophical debate whether mm-hmm. that was reasonable or not. Certainly, from a just sort of human perspective, you can appreciate how he would feel that way. But you know, at the at, in from a sort of business perspective, you can also appreciate why Google was very smart to do exactly what they did. The fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, these are humans involved, and one human in particular was very, very pissed off about this, and that 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 was going to have consequences. I, yeah, I, if, <laughs> he, I'm not sure he'd be on the podcast, but if he was and he was listening to us talking about copying being okay in the tech industry, I'm not sure he would agree with us both. <laughs> yeah, to say, to say the least, to say the least. So the other, the other thing, though, was Google... Uh, Android kind of was, you know, it was just this this crazy animal. And it started to kind of take over Google, too, in a very unhealthy sort of way. And to me, the canonical example of this was when Google introduced turn-by-turn directions for Android and did not want to release it for 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 Apple. And they did not. And, and they didn't, it was not on Google Maps for Apple until after Apple Maps came out several years later. And this is the I've hammered on on this in particular again and again, but also other aspects of the experience where Google's apps and Google services were better on Android than they were on iOS. And the the sort of human reaction, the instinctual reaction, and this is exactly why it happened, is to say, of course, of course, they should be better. It's Google's phone. Why wouldn't they be better? But that is the problem with that is that makes sense only if you don't understand the context within which Android and Google are operating. I think, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's fine. Well, because the thing to remember is that Google, you know, this this was a huge, like this was a, this topic of Android and how Android was hurting Google was one of my big things, like my first year of trajectory back in 2013. I wrote about this several times. This is when Google kind of woke up and realized like the mistake they had made. And there was, you could start to see signs of them starting to, starting to pivot away from this. And what happened, the problem is that Google is a services company. They're a horizontal company. And what I mean by that is they have all their costs are fixed. It's all R&D and it's capital cost to buy servers and data centers and all that sort of thing. And they have zero marginal costs. And there's lots of interesting implications of that that we've talked about plenty, including that goes into things like aggregation theory and all, of, and we've ta- all the implications that we've talked about many times. But there are, there are lots of strategic implications that come from a business that's all fixed costs and no marginal costs. And one of the most critical ones is that profitability is directly correlated with market share. Because the more people that you serve, if, from a cost perspective, the more people that you serve, the more those fixed costs are spread out, and, and you have you have greater le- what's called leverage, you have greater leverage on on your costs. But it's also a perfect fit for an advertising-based business model because what do advertisers want to do? They want to reach the broadest number of people, and so what made Google this unbelievable machine, like one of the most brilliant profit generators we've ever seen, was the fact that. Everything about the company was aligned. They invested tons of money on the back end in, into their fixed costs, and then their goal was to reach everyone everyone possible. And advertisers want to reach everyone possible, and they went on Google. And, and so you, you had this beautiful business model where everything was aligned, everyone was pulling in the same direction, and it made the money, it made the company tons and tons and tons of money, and it still does. Right. The only problem was that Android. It- Android didn't necessarily, I mean, the way they viewed Android didn't necessarily fit well with that horizontal business model, right? Right. Well, the way they viewed Android originally, remember the goal of Android was to preserve Google's connection with the customer. So the, the goal of Android was to keep Google's user base large. Understand. So the, when it was when it was conceived, the goal aligned with the overall goal of Google and the way Google operated. What happened was the Android leadership, particularly when, when Vic Kundotra was there, and, and Andy Rubin, by all accounts, was certainly a, a part of this, uh, or the leader of this, I should say. Mm-hmm. They got so wrapped into this competition with Apple, and, and we'll talk about that word competition in a moment. They got so wrapped in this competition with Apple that that they started leveraging Google to make Android better, to make Android differentiated. And the problem was that was the tail wagging the dog. 
where because Android was only ever going to reach a, a, a portion of the population. And so you were leveraging a business that's predicated on reaching everyone to only reach a portion. And they were actually actively hurting the parent business. But but I it's like people kind of lost their heads because it's like, why wouldn't we want to make Android better? It seems like a it seems like a reasonable question to ask. I think the 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 results, uh, if you play it out, was obvious. If you put your, yourself in the shoes of Apple at the time and seeing this happening, if you are in the business of delivering the best experience for your customers, and that's the basis on which you make your money selling phones that are fantastic, and one of the key services that people use the phones. Let's let's pick on Maps because I don't I. For a lot of people, mapping software is something that they rely on a lot on their smartphone. And then you see that Android phones are starting to pull away in terms of the quality of the mapping software, the mapping services. Your natural instinct is going to be, well, if we can't rely on Google to do this anymore, we're going to do it ourselves. Once you start doing that, all the like one of the big one of the big uh, virtuous cycle circles that Google has benefited from has been access to lots and lots of data. They serve lots of people. They get data back. So, for for example, let's stick with mapping. You see people going up and down the highway. You can start to predict how long various routes take. You can see when traffic is getting bad because people start slowing down. They're, they're submit their they're transmitting their GPS data back to the Google services so it can tell them how much longer it's going to be. You're taking uh, a percentage of the market, turns out roughly, what, 20% that also happen to be the most valuable customers and you are uh, Apple is going to start serving them and is going to start changing the defaults for a whole bunch of services from Google Maps or YouTube to something else Apple-based or something else altogether and Google is denied access to that data as well. Exactly. That's and that's exactly what happened. And and Google, and to be clear, Apple's response here was absolutely and totally justified. Mm. I, I mean, yes, Apple Maps. I, I I'm I'm still relatively anti Apple Maps in part because it's still terrible in Taiwan. But you can understand like that Google was no longer a trustworthy partner, mm-hmm. and to rely on them for critical functionality given that Google had demonstrated their willingness to leverage that against Apple was 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 a no-go. And the shame of it is, is that it was stupid by Google. It was dumb. It, 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 was, it was getting caught up in the heat of competition. And what was so dumb about it is that Google was never Apple's competitor. Apple's competitor was Samsung, and it was HTC, and it was all the companies that were using Google software. Remember, Google wasn't, Google wasn't, was giving away Android. And this is what happens. And Google is, uh, I think, particularly susceptible to this because Google has a pretty big division between... Google's kind of like the newspaper of tech. Like there's like the journalist on one side and the business side on the other and never the twain shall meet. Mm. Google's like engineering on one side and business on the other and they're not going to talk to each other. And it's really extreme there. And I think this is in a situation where it really came to bite them in the rear end. Like if you're working on the Android team, you're leading the Android team and, and you're or you're working on the relevant Google services, all you're thinking about is, is technology. If you're not thinking about the business, if you're not thinking about how you make money, if you're not thinking about who your true competitors are, which was not Apple, then you make bad decisions. And Google made really bad decisions between the period of 2010 to 2012. And the company is still paying the price for those decisions. I, it's uh, it's also one of these things where I think there's a whole bunch of hubris in the valley where uh, people start to step on each other's turf and it becomes it becomes a, a competition to see who could win. And you know, you see Android rising up, and they started to ship a lot of phones. And it's like competitive spirits naturally start to get. Uh, 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 they naturally start to arise, and it's an it's. I can see how they fell into this trap. It it almost seemed like uh, the default path. It would have had. It would have required a lot of foresight and a lot of very tight management for them not to fall into this trap because they launched a competing product and they're going to. Uh, they're going to 
rest away as much market share as they want. And as that market share number goes up and as they pass Microsoft and Nokia and everybody and BlackBerry, everybody's cheering them on. And it's like, well, we've come this far. Why don't we keep going and take down Apple as well? And it was it works really well up until the point that they went after Apple because that there's uh, just by virtue of the different quality of the experiences, like they they are not going to end up winning all the market. And then they pissed off one of the the player in the market that ends up having the most valuable base of customers who is not going anywhere. Yeah, and there, there's two sort of things that, that are caveats here where my railing is a bad decision may be unnecessary because it might, all this was probably inevitable. Uh, part one is, on, I think you just made it on Google's part, like th- th- they may have thought, and there were certainly a lot of pundits that argued that they were going to, Android is going to sweep, swamp the, the iPhone in the long run, they're getting all developers, like Windows swamped the Mac. The problem is that that entails not understanding the Windows versus Mac thing, in which the Windows didn't swap the Mac. Uh, the, the Windows wrote on IBM and was always bigger. Like the, like the Mac, the, there was the whole popular conception of what happened in the '80s is pretty much 100% wrong. Uh, we don't need to get into it now. I've written about it. I'll put a link in the show notes. But the the pro- lots of people don't really understand what happened. And so there was this mindset that, oh, Android's going to be bigger. They're going to swamp over Apple. Apple's going to be doomed. See the Mac repeats. And perhaps some people at Google thought that. And so, yes, let's go over it. Let's, let's go over Apple. The problem with that is, one, if you're leading a, a multi-billion dollar corporation like Google, you should actually know your history and not rely on popular myth. And hopefully that w- and one would hope that would be the case. But also, two, the the... The evidence already by that time was that that wasn't going to happen, and that was clear to to uh, not just like Apple people. Like it, like it was clear that the iPhone had had legs; it had staying power. So that's that's part one. So you can understand maybe mm. that led to bad decisions. Number two is given that Android, just the fact that Android existed may have been enough that Apple was always going to go in the other direction. The, the thing to remember is Apple actually bought a mapping company before Google did the turn-by-turn mm. thing. We don't know if Apple knew about that, and that's why they bought the mapping company. They're only a couple months apart. You know, it might have been that Apple realized they needed to get away sooner rather than later, maybe as soon as Android came out, and which which is possible. Like maybe this is all inevitable. The personalities involved, it it could easily have it, it it did feel a little bit like a Cold War situation where one side thinks the other side's going to do something, so it starts taking preemptive strikes. We're going to buy the mapping company, and then, oh, they've bought a mapping company, so they're going to stop using our maps. So before they can stop using our maps, we're going to start- Let's do a turn-by-turn tr- thing. Yep. Yeah, like it, it, it almost feels like there's there's shadow boxing going on, and like we're, we're going to start preemptive, preemptively striking. And, and given some of the personality stuff that's happening, and and Jobs's complete fury over what was going on with Android and Eric Schmidt being on the board and him being so trusted, you can you can kind of see how that that might have it might have played out this way anyway, right? Right, absolutely. And so like and so yes, maybe it wouldn't have made a difference. But what is still absolutely the case is that the tail wagging the dog stuff was still happening. Google mm-hmm. was was devoting was making the experience on Android better via its services, not via making Android a better product. And by, that, by definition, meant they weren't properly investing on iOS, whether it be through apps, whether it be through whatever channels it might have been. Th- like They got locked into winning a, a market share battle when their business was a serve-everyone business. And and th- that that's several years that, they, that they've had to recover from of really investing, over-investing in the wrong place and under-investing in, on iOS in particular. So that, that kind of brings us to today, right? Right. Well, so the, the most interesting thing about the announcement, and, and the reason why this background is kind of, is kind of interesting, is that for Google started out by talking about their, their, the Google Assistant, right? It's kind of like Siri, but uh, one can, I think, probably pretty safely assume it's going to be way better <laughs> because Google's really good at this stuff. And and that was the focus. And Sundar Pichai kind of laid out a history of tech uh, that that I was pleased to see was very similar to something I've written previously where, where he talked about it was the PC, then it was the internet, then it was mobile. And he's like, now it's AI. And 
the, and so that was the 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 premise of introducing the Google Assistant. And so this was the framing in which the hardware was introduced. Okay, so so then they introduced the phone. And it's a perfectly fine phone. It's high-end specs. Everything, they're, they're taking all the, the sensors, all this, and et cetera, et cetera. It's priced the same as an iPhone. It's a premium phone. This is not a Nexus. Like, the Nexus were always relatively cheaper. They skipped on certain parts. They, they were um, – this was a – this was a different, a different sort of phone. But then came the the kicker, and this was the this was the the nuclear bomb in the presentation. I don't know why I'm using nuclear bomb as an analogy. It's a terrible analogy. I've done it twice already. <laughs> it but, seems to be the recurring theme. <laughs> so uh, the it turns out the Google Assistant is only going to be on the Pixel phone. It's not going to be on on. Google's other devices. It, it 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 is available on other devices via apps, including iOS. But to be like fully a part of the phone in the way that Siri is, where it's available everywhere, right? Using Siri is very different than using, you know, say Cortana on on an iPhone because Cortana you have to you have to go into an app and it's it's a self contained experience. Whereas Siri is omnipresent; it's all over the phone, and that's why it can be extended to things like the watch and to, and to the AirPods and all those sorts of things. That's what Google Assistant is in the case of the Pixel phone and only the Pixel phone. Like I have a Nexus 6P that I bought last year. It's not getting Google Assistant. Samsung phones are not getting Google Assistant. Uh, LG phones, Huawei phones are not getting Google Assistant. And this is a this is a really this is a really big deal. And the reason it's a big deal, and it reminded me kind of of that turn by turn thing, but in this case that was kind of a misguided attempt to to differentiate a product that Google made no money from. Mm. Now Google is trying to differentiate a product that they are primed, at least in the long run. I mean, it takes a lot to get started building a phone, and so they're not necessarily going to make a lot of money, even though $650 at the beginning. But presuming this becomes a real business, and they gave every indication it's going to be, promising hundreds of millions of marketing and all sorts of stuff that's going to go into this, that they are differentiating a device that they plan to make money on. That's a completely new business model for uh, for Google. It is a completely new business model for Google. I um I I had a I had a reaction to it initially, and I, I so I understand why they've tried to do it because you think about the issue they face, which is given given the nature of the assistant, how do they monetize it? And actually, selling differentiated hardware seems to be a pretty good way of it. It, it is a way of monetizing it. The uh, the question I had is: it the best way of monetizing it? Well, well, before we get there, that's not the only problem they face. So they have. So we already talked about one problem after Google I/O last year, which is you have to actually get access to the assistant. Right? Yes, they can ship an app that has it, but but who's going to go into the app to use an assistant? Right? You, the, the the assistant becomes way too much friction involved in actually using it, mm-hmm. and in the and so that's why they introduced the Google Home and I/O. Like, oh, here's an obvious place. Yes, it's basically a probably Echo, but why not? Again, once you once the paradigm has been set, of course, that's what you should do. Mm-hmm. And so they they have the they had it at home. It's like, oh, it's an access point to the Google Assistant. So that's part one. They needed to get an access point. But that th- th- it's the second part because if they just needed an access point, then just put it into Android, right? And mm. then you'll have it on uh, hundreds of millions of phones in a, in a few years, not billions because not all phones are, up- are updated, but all the new phones that, that are sold. Bingo. Now you have access in lots of places, right? That's the whole reason you had Android, right? But yeah, now we get to the business model side of things. The, 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 the big issue with the assistant is an assistant gives you answers. And Google's model is predicated on giving you options. And it's in that option. What Google does is it basically puts its advertisers in a competition against each other. And they're competing to get in front of you and to get your click. And who is the who is the judge for this competition? The consumer when they decide to click on something. Exactly, exactly. And the problem is that entire model is not relevant in an assistant sort of world because you don't you don't want them to give you a list of options, one of which is an ad, and then you're going to choose one, right? If you ask an assistant a question, you want the answer. And 
So you think about this. If, if Sundar Pichai's thesis that we're moving to an AI-first world where this assistant is front and center, well, that sounds great for Google, right? Because Google's really good at building this sort of stuff. They're good at artificial intelligence. They're good at machine learning. But the problem is their business model is just fundamentally unsuited to it. And so, yes, to your point, how do you make money? Well, Apple has a way to make money. And so they're kind of doing... The Apple model, we're going to sell a really expensive phone, and it's going to be different because it has Google services on it. It's it's so interesting. It, it is definitely the Apple business model, but Apple's business model is closely aligned with the fact that, I, I mean, a big part of the reason people pay the premium for an Apple phone is the integration between the operating system and the hardware. And the often, often the reason that people consistently upgrade is because Apple pushed the operating system and the hardware together in a way that makes people's lives better, whether it's whether it's Touch ID or whether it's the better camera. The thing about the thing that gave me pause when I read about the the Pixel is that the differentiating factor is a cloud service. And now the problem is if you're making money on a hardware, but the differentiating factor is the cloud service, and the cloud service is the thing that makes that makes this product so much better. A, you want as many people using the service as possible and selling expensive hardware. To, to, you want as many people using it as possible to generate more data, to make it better, to improve it. But if you're selling expensive hardware, you're intentionally limiting the number of people that gain access to it. But B, you think about alignment between uh, why people uh, will spend money on it and uh, and what that differentiating factor is, and the reason, if if the reason I buy this phone is is primarily based on the fact that the assistant is better, and it's not because of the hardware and so on, it's it's what's going to cause me to re replace the phone. Uh, it's not because Google releases new hardware or a better camera two years or 18 months down the line. It's because the assistant keeps getting better. But that's something that happens in the cloud in the background. And it's why um, services like this often, oftentimes are better sold as a subscription rather than a one-time hardware purchase. Does that make sense? It, it does. You, you you packed a lot in there. And I think it's a, I think it's a really good question. And let me, let me break it down in a few different pieces. Mm. So... One, yes, you're right. Google is differentiating based on a service, whereas Google differentiates, or Apple differentiates. I mean, Apple sells the idea that it's the integration of hardware and software and services. Mm. But I think, you know, <laughs> you and me are certainly agree that it's the hardware and software that mm -hmm. is the package. Hardware. And we put up with the services, right? I, I would love to have an Apple phone that, that had Apple's software and hardware that was fully that was fully with Google services, mm -hmm. right? That would, that would be amazing. Right. And, but that's, unfortunately, for all the things we've talked about, a company that's really good at that operating system stuff and at the product stuff ha might have trouble in the cloud, vice versa, really good at the cloud, might have trouble with the product thing. And so there's this implicit trade-off. And, and whereas Google is, they're going to be good at the services. And what's interesting is, is the Android team is still is separate from the Pixel team. And Google's not even making – Google talked about integrating hardware and software, but they, they're not making any show of integrating the operating system in the phone. The Android team is completely separate, and Google's been super-duper explicit about that. Why? Well, you could argue it's a strategy tax, right, that they need to support – You know, they, they need to keep Samsung happy and all sorts of things. Those companies aren't going anywhere. Like They are fully captured by Google. Why? Because they need the apps. The apps are on Android. And given that that is the case, like number one, Google, Google is, is in – they have a captive audience from that perspective. Mm. But two, that's a good reason to keep Android – kind of a just a fundamental thing that's used by everyone because you want the apps need to work everywhere they need to work on all devices and once you start tuning it for just one phone you start messing with sort of the ecosystem and i think and, and this actually impresses me about google's strategy they're being very explicit about what makes the pixel unique it's not it, it, it is that it's a true Google phone. There's this really good quote by by the head of Android that says Nexus was the idealized version of Android, but Pixel is the idealized version of a Google phone. Mm. And that has very 
important implications. And, and mm. so, th- yes, they are differentiating. So, so we agree on that point. To your point about the upgrade cycle, and this is, I, I'm glad you said this because this is, uh, I get to give some feedback to lots of stuff that, that, because I have to have one rant per episode. Like, <laughs> none of this stuff is, is absolute, right? Like, just because you buy a Google phone because you want this great access to the Google Assistant, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you don't also want a better camera. And you don't also want games to be better. And you don't also want all kinds of things on the phone. And it doesn't mean that your battery is not going to get worse over time and that you're going to drop the phone and share the screen. Like, just because that's not the primary reason you buy it doesn't mean those aren't valid reasons. Right. And, and, and so often I'll talk about things. I'll talk about like, oh, voice being the future. Like, oh, we're going to, you know, there's so many things to do on screens. No, I'm not saying screens are going away. These things are additive on top of each other. They're not sort of replacement. And I think that's the case when it comes to your hardware. I, I think it's a good point you made. I think it's much less of a big deal than you kind of framed it as, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I, I think that's fair. I, 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 I guess... Mm, uh, so on one hand, I'm wondering that the people that would, and maybe I'm, 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 I'm filling this out. So tell me if you think I've got it wrong. The people who would most value an assistant, the ones that are most time poor, that are most likely to adopt something like this, are also probably the people that are most likely Apple users. That it's, I well, I, no, I think you're overthinking it because it's. I think it's hard to imagine what this product might be not necessarily today in 2016, but in 2019 or 2020, when I, you know, if they follow theoretically, it will be like a real business that's selling a lot of phones by, by, by that point. Mm. And we can get into reasons why they may not be, but, but theoretically, I think we're so, we're so used to what is here now. We're to Siri in particular. Mm-hmm. And the, it's, I think it's hard to imagine the possibilities. Have you seen the movie her yet? <laughs> you already know the answer. <laughs> it's hard to imagine the possibilities of of a computer that you can just converse with a natural language at any time throughout your day as you go. And be like, oh, you're not going to talk on the subway. I don't know. Who, who, who knew that like 10 years ago we'd all be holding a black metal box in front of our faces? We talked about this last week in the context of spectacles. Like, I, I can imagine there being like a, 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 an assistant voice that we all kind of mumble on the side and we have this ongoing conversation and there's like you, you, real human conversation. Does it sound ridiculous? Sure. In 10 years, will it sound ridiculous? I'm not so sure. And, and and so in this if we get to this world and google is as you one might expect given the sort of company they are and the sort of expertise that they have is a radically better assistant than siri and the operating system is good enough and the build quality is good enough like suddenly it seems like a much more viable viable product it's not it's not that it's going to be bad or non-existent. It's just, it's weighting the priorities differently. And this is what makes, if you look four or five years, Apple's without doubt, the build quality is going to be amazing. The feel is going to be amazing. It's going to be super fast. The camera is going to be all these sorts of things, all the things we expect from Mm. Apple. The question is, will Siri be good enough, right? And they're going to be the same products, but with very different emphases that reflect the companies that built them. You, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, the other well, the other company that's interesting to think about this is, and the, Google framed this whole thing as being you know versus the iPhone. Mm. But the the truth is that the the real company that is 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 in a world of hurt here potentially anyway is Samsung. Mm. And Samsung is uses Google uses Android like everyone else. They try to differentiate with their software and everyone hates it. Like that's mm-hmm. not why you buy a Samsung phone. Mm-hmm. So why did Samsung win? Why did Samsung end up dominating the the Android market? Well, there's more to a phone than building it. And there's more well Samsung which is Sam, we'll get to that in a second. There's mm-hmm. more to a phone than the OS. There's more to a phone than the services. There is, as I just said, actually building it. And Samsung's really good at that. Mm-hmm. And they they build a huge number of components in the phone. They're vertically integrated. Like here's the th- people get so hung up on I think one of the thing that that's kind of foiled understanding of technology was this assumption that in the only meaning of integration is OS and hardware. And the truth is integration can happen anywhere in the value chain. Mm. And, and and where you gain profits is by owning a particular spot on that value chain where you are able to integrate and everyone else modulizes around you and they're all made into commodities and you have that choke point and you and you and you profit from that. Apple 
does this with the OS because they're the only ones you buy an iPhone for iOS, Apple just sells the only device that gets it. So they make money on the hardware, but the differentiating factor is the software. By fusing those two together, they're a very profitable business. Google, if they're, you know, now that they're they're switching to this model by all accounts, they have the best the the best services that are manifesting in the form of Google Assistant. If you want Google Assistant, it's only available on Google hardware, which costs money. They are fusing those together. That's their point of integration. And that's how they hope to make money. Their point of integration is not the OS. It's a different point. It doesn't mean it's not an integrated strategy. Samsung, their point of integration is 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 very different. Samsung integrates far lower down the stack in far lower down the stack. Like Apple has suppliers everywhere that make all the different parts of the phone. Samsung makes a huge number of parts of their own phone. Like they're integrated in in the actual manufacturing of the phone and then they have massive they're good and skilled at sp- and have the guts to spend mi- hundreds of millions of dollars and they have relationships with every single carrier and phone seller in the world. And so they have the distribution. And so Samsung has succeeded in a very different way that I think is not appreciated by a lot of a lot of tech observers, frankly, because they look at the technology, they look at the the software like, oh, it's not so great. And they don't understand there's all these other parts of the value chain that Samsung is very, very good at. And 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 that's how they've taken over Android and become the, the dominant player. And so what, what's interesting is is you have these three companies. And so the, 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 to add a f- further bit of, uh, to, to, to this pot, uh, Samsung bought Viv yesterday. Viv is created by the same people who created Siri. They left Apple and then started a new company called Viv. And they claim, of course, that Viv is much better than Siri was. But they Samsung bought them. Samsung didn't buy them overnight, but one presumed Samsung... Google probably told them that this was going to happen. You know, they had they talked about they had conversations with Samsung. They mm. knew it was going to happen. They knew Google Assistant was going to be only on, on the Google phone. And they had they had to react. And what's interesting is you have this really interesting competition coming up between three different players. Like Google and Samsung and Apple are distinct companies that are competing against each other. Yes, Google makes the operating system that Samsung uses, but that's a like a, 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 a an enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of arrangement, right? They need the ecosystem. They need the apps. But you, so that's like a common thing. But then what's the different? All three of them have different differentiators. Apple's differentiator is the OS. Google's differentiator is the Google Assistant. Samsung's differentiator is the marketing and distribution that they're that that they're really good at, and that Google has shown no real skill in, to be frank. And that that's that's a huge reason to be skeptical, which we'll get to in a moment. And so you're going to have this battle. Now, here's the thing. Again, it's not an all or nothing thing. To, in response to your point, like they all will have good cameras. They mm-hmm. all will have the best possible operating system they could, they 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 can build. Apple just happens for lots of reasons is better at it. They all will have the best assistant they can have, right? That's why Samsung had to buy assistant. All these pieces are not differentiators, they're table stakes. Samsung had to get an assistant, and so they bought one. But what's interesting is the way they're going to compete, they all have very different differentiators. The degree to which they will win win is not necessarily like Siri will be competing against Google Assistant. It's more from a macro sense, will our use of computing shift in a more everywhere, omnipresent computing where voice is a major interface, if that's the case, that's good for Google. Is computing going to continue to be primarily touch and physical and interaction-driven? Well, then put your chips on on, on Apple. Or is it going to be this sort of mismatch of thing where people are just going to continue buying the phone that's available? Well, Sam's, that's the world that Samsung does very well in. And yes, there's, there's, there's lots of it's different in different markets, particularly in China, mm-hmm. and, and Huawei is trying to push out. But in general, it's a really interesting sort of uh, a, a playing field that's going to, you know, we, smartphones seem so boring. It's suddenly gotten very, very interesting. It's true. I think I think the way you just framed it helped me get at the thing that's been gnawing away at me, which is given the fact that this is the 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 hill that Google is uh, is planning on planting its flag in was actually releasing a phone with this 
the right play or would this have actually been better served as in potentially a different form factor? So home is obviously one example of this, but rather than necessarily uh, trying to compete with Apple on the phone, where it's still the case that hardware and touch is a, a, a is a big thing for lots of people, perhaps they would have been better served going into a different form factor. And I'm actually thinking about a watch. Like given the fact that this assistant is going to be very voice driven, that it's all about um, it's all about getting the right answer as opposed to presenting options. Might a watch be a better form factor for this technology? And then you have people more likely to pick one up in addition to having a phone as opposed to it being an either or with their Samsung phone or their Apple phone. Well, they, they very well may do a watch. First off, the technology isn't ready, like a standalone sort of cellular watch. Mm. Uh, uh, but two, the it's a very different world than the world that Google came up in, which was in, on the browser where everything was open and by virtue of being the best technology, oh, totally. they, they could win. And this world, there's really two ways to command consumer attention or to own a touch point. It's to either you own the device that they use or you own an experience in an app that they live in. Mm-hmm. And that is where the social networks are dominant. And face, you know, Facebook is, mm-hmm. is the leading example, and and where Google has already tried to compete and failed, and and I think are right to not try to compete again, frankly. And so, if you th- if you think that those are and bo- both these, particularly the device, though, it, it's really it's not just the device; it's the entire ecosystem, right? It's it, it's the it, it's having this idea of per- pervasiveness and you can't really deliver a pervasive experience if you don't if you don't have the phone. And I don't know it's really hard to envision if they have decided that we think the future is going to be this AI future and this interaction and sort of pervasive computing and we don't have a good enough yes we have Android but one like we don't fully control the experience, so it's not going to be as mm-hmm. great as it could be. But two, we we will never ever really make money from doing this. Versus, like we think our technology is so good, and this is classic Google because they always think this. Mm-hmm. We think our technology is so good that we can actually come. Like, yes, Apple won this era because they're really good at that at, at, at mm-hmm. the OS and hardware integration. But we're moving to a new era where the cloud matters more. And we think we are the Apple of this era. And by extension, we can pull off an Apple-like business model. I, I Yes, it, it makes sense. It makes total sense. Uh, I, I guess this this well this well, well this gets of course it makes total sense. That's the title of my article, right? And I I wonder if the parallel though is for a- Apple to think that they uh, to win the mobile era that they needed to then ship the a personal computer that was uh, that was um, that that competed with Microsoft that enabled them to get into this, to get into the next paradigm. And it feels like this is one of the instances where the, the, the game has been won and lost in terms of mobile, I feel like, and they're coming along and maybe, maybe AI completely changes it. Maybe people's preferences around hardware are going to be willing, uh, uh, they're going to, uh, be willing to shift on the basis of this, but it feels like the game has been won and lost, and that's why I was suggesting the phone. Well, again, but you're you're wrapped up on you're wrapped on competing with Apple. The the reality is, as Apple, as you noted, is a small part of the market, and it's also only like fifty percent of the premium market. Mm. So for now, uh, the the first sort of company, although Google will never say this, the first company that will surely be in their crosshairs is Samsung, mm. because. You can have the same experience you're used to with all the apps that you already have, but you can also have the Google Assistant. Now, again, I have real questions about not just Google's ability to pull this off, but if they have the stomach for it. This will be a multi-year this investment, investment in 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 building it, in the manufacturing, in chips. Although Google has bought several chip companies the last few years, and they have their own chip already in the in the, in the server center. So like. And they said they will be building custom silicon for their phones over time. Mm. So 
but that's a big investment. It's a big investment to learn how to sell to customers, which Google is not good at. Mm. It's a big investment to do marketing. It's a big investment to have partnerships with carriers and, and resellers, and all this sort of thing, which Google, again, is, is, has a terrible track record in. And, and like this is a big-time, big-time investment. But if they – so I, that's first and foremost why I have – questions about this. But if they do, if they are if we presume they do all that and they do it competently, the first company that's going to feel the pain is Samsung. And, and so you're going to have a situation where Google has a market that they can take and, and it is easier to to take on than, than mm-hmm. the iPhone. And again, by the time they do that, now it's 2019, Google's at building these phones at scale. They're getting the returns from that. They're getting, they have their own silicon. They're getting better at building this sort of stuff. They have their own AirPods and whatever the sort of accessories are. And at the same time, their voice, their Google Assistant is getting really freaking good. And so when and if this battle royale happens, it's not happening in 2016. It's happening in four, three to four years down the road. And that's why this had to happen today, though. Like Google could not launch a phone in, and the phones, we're going to have phones for a long time. Like, it's going to be a while before these devices can stand on their own. And by the way, if you want to build a device that stands on your own, like, you probably need to build the expertise by building phones first, right? Because it's it's the same tech. You just got to shrink it down even more. This was the time to do it because they 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 need a runway. They need a runway to be competitive in this potential future world. I, I agree with everything that you've just said. Like there's, there's, it, it makes sense that they would go after Samsung. I think you're right. Like in terms of their ability to be able to execute on stuff like this, like every time in the past they've tried selling something, their natural, their natural instinct is to put it up on a website and expect people to come to it and buy it. And hardcore techies who know about these phones will definitely, uh, will definitely seek it out. At the same time, uh, I think a lot of the people who end up buying Android, well, not all of them, but a lot of people who go into and buy Android devices and you you uh, characterized it, uh, Samsung's strategy as a mishmash of all these things. But there is a real ground war in terms of getting your devices in every phone store of every carrier. Samsung, Samsung is good at like, at the blocking and tackling of selling yeah. stuff. And, and that and stuff, again, that, that's way undervalued, but it matters hugely. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, but compared to the very nice integration uh, between hardware and software that Apple has or hardware and AI and services that Google now has, like being good at the blocking and tackling, it's it's important, but it's unsexy. That being said, Google is going to have to learn how to do this if they want this phone to be successful. And their past history doesn't suggest that that's that's necessarily the kind of dirty groundwork that they're particularly good at. Well, this is why this is what makes it so interesting is that w- when we talk about Google in this respect, that oh, it makes sense. This is where they go, and they have advantages they can leverage, and like all these things that make sense. But that's why I said Google and the limits of strategy. This is good strategy. Like it's strategy that that realigns their business model, that realigns to the to a future that 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 creates a future in which Google's differentiation can come to the fore and can drive value, right? You could ch- write this up on the whiteboard that what Google is doing makes sense. Mm. But the the way a company succeeds is about more than just choosing good strategy. Like the, the, it's culture, it's business model, it's all those sorts of things that are baked into a company. And this is why I wrote in here, they're like the bizarro Apple. A- Apple has a good strategy for going into the future, into this omnipresent computing future where you you have a, an assistant, you have interaction, you have all machine learning and all these sorts of things that, that are a part of the future. The real question is not about Apple's strategy. It's about whether Apple's culture is, is capable of executing. Because, and again, it's not to say the culture is bad. People just, oh, some people just don't want to hear this. I'm not saying Apple is incompetent. I'm saying they are so competent at building amazing devices that the sort of approach and thinking that goes into that just doesn't translate very well into building really effective services. And, and that building effective services both from an engineering perspective, but also from a business 
perspective and partnership perspective and all the things that go into it. Google is the bizarro Apple. They're the exact opposite. They, you can build up the strategy and it makes sense and they can deliver an amazing Google Assistant that has all these sorts of things. But they have shown there's nothing in their culture that suggests they can do the hard work, the grimy work, the non-sexy mm. work of actually selling a phone. And actually it makes me almost more pessimistic about Google than Apple because at least with Apple, like I think there's a there's a one Apple already has the the business model parts there. Like Apple has more run, runway in, mm -hmm. in, in in some respects, but also it's like I think there is a visible fix here where it, it's like you just need to fashion a separate organization within the organization that that is able to build its own culture. I don't know if it worked, but you can at least kind of see it. With Google, it's like you just got to have the the guts to to put up with spending hundreds of millions of dollars on non-sexy stuff for a very long time. And there there's very Google's had it so easy. From day 1, Google has had it easy. And and by easy I mean they've been they've succeeded by virtue of building the best technology which is an amazing place to be if you're a technologist all you got to do is do what you love and the money flows in and actually building a business and actually doing the hard dirty work of getting people to buy your phone is is could not be more different than just doing what you love and having money flow in yeah the uh the ATM in the basement might finally be uh might finally be running out of cash and yeah that the hard work that that is going to be necessary to pull this off if they're to be successful is going to be um it's yeah it's just it doesn't feel like it's in their dna but at least there's a recognition that something needs to change there is there is and that's why this was so interesting because like like if you think through the predicament that they're in again people only think about the technology you have to think about the business side of it too and they they're in a real predicament that it makes again it makes a lot of sense but i think there's a bigger broader question here that, that that's more interesting um, when I did my epochs of technology uh, back in 2014, I had the same as ever, anyone would, the, the PC, then the internet, then the mobile. And then I had the next one being messaging. And by messaging, kind of a broader like social layer in general. Mm. And, and because one thing I've always been super focused on and has been central to my writing is the importance of owning the, the, the consumer relationship. And the, the one thing that I think Pichai got wrong about putting AI at the end is that yes, AI may be the technology, but that's kind of like saying that like, you know, TCP IP was the second wave. It wasn't the second wave. It was, it was the web. It was, it was the actual interface that marked the change, right? The first part was the PC. The second part you could argue was, was the browser and what happened in the browser. And the third part was the phone, the actual device. It, the technology Yes, it was a critical part, but that wasn't why you won. You won because you controlled the interface that customers actually use. Microsoft won the PC, not because they made the PC, but because they made the operating system that people actually interacted with. Google won the second era, not because they controlled the browser, but because they were the front page that people went to to sort through this big mess on the internet. Apple won and 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 Android won from a market share perspective, but Apple won from a profit perspective. The mobile era, not because of the technology, but because it was the the the, the they own the interface that people that people interacted with. And AI is not is a is is an abstract concept. It's a bunch of computers in a cloud doing calculations. What's the interface? And Google is making a play for this. Apple is making a play for this. But both have mirror image problems. Apple, we question if they can build it. And Google, we question if they can own the interface. And that I'm not sure that either is going to be the the the, the defining company of this era. It might be Facebook, it might be someone who's, who's not here yet, but it's going to be someone who, who's in front of the customer. And if you think about it, no company has been the dominant player two eras in a row. You can be profitable multiple mm -hmm. eras in a row, right? Microsoft made tons of money in the internet era because all those browsers were running on Windows machines, but they weren't the dominant company. And this was my whole thesis in, in kind of peak Google is that they were eclipsed. They didn't die. They were eclipsed by, by a, a new technology. And what's really interesting is for this fourth epoch, 
the natural instinct of everyone is to always presume it's going to be the current big players that will dominate it. But the actual history is that that's not usually what happens. Yeah, I I totally, totally agree. It's um, bringing it back to the point at which we pivoted the conversation. It's if if it's interesting to imagine what would happen if Google had remained a more trusted partner to Apple and whether uh, probably not, but whether Apple might be more open to letting Google uh, gain access to some of the hardware level stuff that would enable them to provide such services uh, for iOS customers, Apple customers. That being said, they would probably still find themselves, well, maybe they, I was going to say they might still find themselves with the difficulty from a business model perspective, but maybe not. Maybe they could charge a subscription basis in, in, in order to provide such services at, at the, um, at, if they got access to the hardware. That being said, it's, it's a standing question as to whether Apple would allow another company such low-level access to their hardware. Yeah, it's fun to think about, but I think, you know, realistically, it it, 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 it never would have, like, it was doomed to fall apart. Mm. And th- I'm glad you brought that up because we kind of spent a lot of time on that era that, that doesn't seem really connected. I guess the re- the main point to talk about that era and the term of turn directions and the mapping mm. and all that is the mistake Google made then was that they forgot about what their business model was. Mm. And they made decisions independent of, of their business. Mm. What's so interesting and I think telling about this Pixel phone is it seems to be a decision that that actually is driven by the business needs of Google. And it's driven by this reality that the the money geyser doesn't is a geyser that doesn't really make sense in this new world that they think is coming, which means they need to get a new business model. And it, it, it just it's 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 a kind of a mirror image of 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 what came before. It's uh, it's also unique for Google in that it feels like this is the first time that they've been making big decisions like this in this way for almost as long as I can remember. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they're 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 doing a lot more. I, mean, I think they're, but you can see lots of signs of this. I mean, they're they're getting way more serious about cloud computing, like like enterprise cloud computing, and and they're and they're business division after neglecting it for years. Mm. Uh, I think that there's at least at the high level, and this is the challenge, I think at the very highest levels of Google, there is a very sophisticated understanding of where the company is and the challenges they face going forward. The problem, though, is <laughs> the leadership is not about the CEO saying, okay, do this, and then everyone does it. It's It's you have all the culture, you have all those accumulated decisions, those accumulated ways of thinking that were predicated on the way you always did it. And you can't just say you're going to do it differently and expect that to happen. It's, it, if they pull it off, it's going to take years. It's going to be as long and hard as a, of a slog as uh, actually getting the phone in all those stores. It, it, it is. And, you know, it, this is where... This is where it, it's it, they are like Microsoft, and this is and this seems to be the path for horizontal companies in general. Like your your era, the one that you dominate, fades away, and you have to find your place in the next era. And the most challenging thing is that the people at the top, I mean, Microsoft's problem with people at the top couldn't see it, but or at least the one at the top, the people at the top may see where it's going, but. Google is still super profitable. They're still making tons of money. They still have, you know, all the things that make the company look like a success. How do you enact change? How do you refocus, repivot in a new direction when, yeah. when, when no one feels the pain? And and take all the, exactly take all that money, all that money that you could be returning to shareholders and spend it on something that people are like. Hang on, why are we doing this again? Oh, I know the share. If if Google actually starts spending hundreds of millions of dollars on iPhone on on Pixel phone marketing. The shareholders are not going to be happy about that at all. Yeah. Well, I, this will be. It's a good thing that they have a funny voting class of of stock where shareholders don't get a massive say in things. It is true, but the problem is the people who control that massive share of stock have stock have never shown any real interest in the business side of things. So it's interesting to watch it all play out. It is. It is. Uh, anyhow, like I said. It, a huge event. It was a huge event because you don't, you rarely see a company of. I mean, changing business models is a is a really big deal. And again, 
we could look back on this and say it was all hype about nothing. But if we do, this is it, everything about this in in isolation is a big deal. And the takeaway I would get from if this ends up not being a de- big deal is not that we were wrong to say this was a big deal, but that Google lost their nerve. Yeah. Yeah. Be interesting to watch it play out. So are they are they doing the right thing? I I still have a degree of skepticism. So I the way it all pieces together I think makes uh makes lots of sense for all the reasons we've described. But it's it's just one of these things where it's a service and you want to get it out to as many people as possible. And even with search, when they first launched launched that search product, which is still their pivotal product, they may not have had an idea of how they were going to monetize it. And sometimes when it comes to services, you get you need to get it in front of as many people as possible and then figure it out. That being said, that as we've talked about, we talked about it uh, previous episodes and then this episode, you can't like people, the the search arose in an era in which it was open and the era is not open now. People are inside these devices that are controlled by other companies and they're not just going to let Google in, whether it's Apple on the phone or Facebook and Messenger. So I don't know, It's 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 a rock and a hard place, right? Yeah, well, the other thing to talk about is if you think it's a bad idea, what do you think they should do otherwise? Exactly. And that's where it's like it doesn't immediately jump out to me as like this is a great idea. The challenge is what would you do instead? And that they aren't in a position where it's it's almost like the chessboard's playing out and there are only less uh, – the, the game's late and there are less and less optimal moves and you are having to uh, – you are having to – you're having to, I don't know, it's not quite giving up your queen, but you're having to make a less than optimal move and people scoffing perhaps, but what's the alternative that you go, you go with instead? And I, I think that's a really good question. In this case, it, it's maximized by the fact that if they think this is the right strategy, it's one where they have to make the necessary moves several years in advance to where they're going to pay off. Right. So. And- it, T- it will be fascinating nerve. to watch. Yeah, it will. It will. I I, th- I think that uh, you know Google is obviously a super important company. They remain. They will remain so. But uh, to me, this is. I, I kind of see this as a affirmation of what was might still be my most read, but it's certainly my most controversial pieces, which was Pete Google. Mm. And and this is what I'm getting at. The company is not going anywhere. I wasn't saying they were dying. I'm just saying that the the era where everything made sense for them is is ending. And and and. and and something is likely to eclipse them. And I don't think you can get a better affirmation of that than the company itself introducing a completely new business model. Yeah, I I agree. Well, thank you. Uh, anyhow, uh, we will talk again next week. Uh, I actually just sat through a big earthquake in the in the middle of that, which we, you did uh, remarkably well. I didn't even I didn't even notice you. Oh well, that's not true. Was that why your printer decided to start doing things? Oh, I don't know. I, I'm I'm going to try to edit out because my my printer started suddenly doing stuff, and you remarked that it was AI. No, it, it was it, that AI was 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 responding to me. Um, no, the printer was not because of the earthquake. It was just because printers are stupid. <laughs> that that is. Is also a possibility. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a definite thing. Uh, let me see how big this was. Uh, 5.7. That's pretty big. 5.7. That's actually pretty big. We get our thanks to MailChimp for sponsoring this episode and this season of Exponent. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye.